It never happened. Hey, Bond. James Bond. Oh, uh, How do you like your martini, sir? Stirred in, in a half carafe. Wow. <laughs> he, shoots himself. he shoots himself with a wiener. Everybody okay? I think so. Yeah. Wow. I'm fine. Wow. Oh, wow. We just literally dodged a bolt. Except for Cornelius. Oh, I did get shot. <laughs> and we are back. Welcome to the real talk part of The Contrarians. But before we get to real talk, we're going to do PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on our exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, it's March. We're starting a, a new month on our patron channel. That means a fresh new set of goodies for our patrons. Uh, let's start with the QVRs, the quick video reviews. Uh, patron Nerdrovert was in charge of uh, assigning those this time around. So you are getting the Nicolas Cage movie Pig. Uh, which is playing on Hulu right now, if at least if you're in the United States, kind of a kind of a big hit with film Twitter. I, mm-hmm. I think that it might be getting some uh, some traction for that popular vote at the Academy Awards, but <laughs> don't quote me on that. You haven't seen it, I have, so I'm looking forward to uh, hear and see what you have to say about it. Now, for me, uh, Nerdrovert has assigned me the movie Titan or Titani. Titan. Titan, is that, is that yeah. how you pronounce it? Uh, I don't know anything about this movie. I just know that it's from the same filmmaker that made the 2016 movie Raw, which I also haven't seen, but I know about Raw. It's like this about this woman that, I guess, starts eating human meat. She becomes a cannibal. It, people that have actually watched Raw are probably banging their heads against the wall right now. But it sounded like a very unappealing movie. I'm like, that doesn't, I, I don't want to watch somebody. Like, because it's, it's supposed to be pretty graphic. And then, so I normally, I wouldn't even have considered watching uh, Titan. But our friend uh, Ben, friend and patron Ben from Film Busters, he, he watched it at a film festival a few months ago and he gave it like kind of a glowing review. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a shot when I can. And so I've been putting it off, and now Nerdrovert is forcing my hand. So I'll be watching it and doing a quick video review for our patron channel. Yeah, uh, I know two people that have watched that movie, so I'll wait to review their reviews until <laughs> after you watch it. I'll be curious to see what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, i got to say, it doesn't sound like, uh, like it would be a movie for me, but at the same time, I'm always, you know, pushing my horizons. Hence our uh, Roxena journey that we're going That's through right, right now. <laughs> uh, Alex, what is part three of the Roxena special event that we have going on our patron? So part three is dead center. We're doing a five-part miniseries. And actually, the plan from the jump was that part three is going to go on our main timeline. So part three will be free to uh, the masses, but... Uh, don't think we forgot about y'all patrons. Uh, just a quick recap. Part three is going to be about uh, the infamous summer of punk, the story of 2011 WWE. And honestly, in many ways, the story of rock Cena cannot be told without discussing CM Punk. So we will be talking about the summer of punk, the legendary John Cena, CM Punk WWE title match from money in the bank, 2011. And then also discussing on his layover in between WWE to AEW, the man known as CM Punk tried to do a lot of things that weren't wrestling until he finally realized he's really got no other discernible skills except being a <laughs> professional wrestler. And part of that was a movie called Girl on the Third Floor, a horror movie that premiered at South by Southwest in, I want to say, 2018. So we'll be discussing that film as well. Now, I did say we're not forgetting about you patrons because we're not. The goodies you can expect in conjunction with our Roxena journey that we're doing here uh, by now on your patron feeds should be alternate commentary tracks for The Rock versus Triple H from Backlash 2000 and John Cena versus Umaga from the 2007 Royal Rumble. Julio and I recorded those uh, over the weekend and had quite a hoot doing so. And additionally, a retrospective on WWE Films, which is uh, Julio and I both learned a lot during that, not just of like the 
they actually have a physical office in LA where they operate out of for WWE films. But it, there were a lot of names that came up that we were just kind of left crestfallen discussing these. So that's what you patrons can expect. And uh, if you've been brought to this episode by our uh, freebie, our CM Punk, our part three in our Rock Cena uh, retrospective, go to Patron, check out the first two parts, and then also you'll have access to these commentary tracks and retrospective on WWE films. But of course, Julio, this mini series that we're working through. Uh, and our QVRs are not all that we offer on our patron page. Uh, no, we also, uh, every month, uh, one of our patrons picks the topic for an exclusive episode on Patreon. That's just all real talk about a movie. And this time it's patron Jordan. He picked the movie Aniara. I don't know what this is, Alex. <laughs> I didn't even know it existed. Titan, I knew. <laughs> Aniara, it's on Hulu. And uh, that's about all I know. And... Jordan just said that he was really curious to hear our reaction. So it appears I don't know. to be a Swedish film. Okay. <laughs> so now I oh, know you, one that's more literally thing. where your knowledge ends on the matter. Yes, that's it. He gave me the title. I haven't even looked it up. I just I just said okay, because that's that's what we do with patrons. They 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 say jump and we said is it streaming? And th- <laughs> that's it. Um and then of course we have contrarians after hours. The spin-off show where we talk about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're playing. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Uh, on my end, Julio, the uh, recent film, Oasis Nebworth, was released. Uh, looks like it came out back in November and had a limited theater engagement. I copped the Blu-ray of that, so I'll be talking about that documentary. Um, I think it's Oasis Nebworth 96. Let me see if I can get the full name, just so... Oasis Nebworth, nineteen ninety six. Yeah, I got the Blu ray of that. It's uh, on um, uh, Paramount Plus right now, just in case any of y'all want to watch that before catching uh, After Hours. So discuss that. It's a documentary about their legendary concert in Nebworth in nineteen ninety six, released last year to coincide with the twenty fifth anniversary. Um, pleased with the Blu ray purchase. It was an international Blu ray though, so it cost me a little bit more than I would have liked. But when I got it, I was like, you know what, this is worth it, and I will discuss why. And Contrarians After Hours. In addition to, I recently watched Itania for the first time uh, after watching The Price of Gold, the 30 for 30 documentary on Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. Uh, one of those I really enjoyed, and one of them I <laughs> could take or leave. Uh, we're not going to be going into Itania too much because I remember Julio, back when the movie was relevant, actually brought it up for his portion of After Hours. So just going to kind of briefly touch on it because I think a lot of our sentiments are uh, uh, very, we share very similar sentiments on the matter. And then also I attended the Colt Classic Convention in Bastrop over the weekend. Just kind of a quick recap of my time there because that was that was a lot of fun. Joe Bob Briggs is a big son of a bitch, man. I had no <laughs> idea he was as big of a boy as he is. And I mean, like, he's a Texas boy, man. He could whip some ass. I was very impressed with his size and stature. Wow. That's a loaded uh, after hours just on your end. Uh, I was going to say, I, I can talk about Tanya Harding for like hours, so... It'll take a lot of editing. (laughs) Um, On my side of the after hours, Alex, my journey to watching as many Oscar-nominated movies for this year continues. And you know what? As as we're recording on the week of uh, the first week of March, uh, you know what dropped on streaming? West Side Story. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Yes, I I think it's like two and a half hours. (laughs) It's a movie you will not watch. A musical that's two and a half hours. Yes. But it's starring the guy from Baby Driver. (laughs) Ansel Elgort? Yes. He plays Tony. God, this is that scene in Parks and Rec where (laughs) Leslie's like, Andy, will you come be doorman at my dinner party tonight? He's like, who's going to be there? Ann and Mark. He's like, uh. He's like, why are you having it? Because Justin's coming to town. He just has that breakdown. That's how I'm feeling the more and more you talk about this. Well, I'll, you know what? It's a Steven Spielberg movie. Come on, don't don't act like it doesn't have some merit. Uh, even yeah, if it hadn't been nominated, I, I would go and watch it. It's the thing about West Side Story is that, uh, and I think I mentioned it in our Baby Driver episode. It, that is a movie that I'm perfectly happy seeing updated. So we can go into that in after hours. Uh, now, not Oscars related, but still movie related. Uh, I watched 
Nobody, which you can pitch as a John Wick, but starring uh, Saul Goodman. Have you seen the the poster for Nobody? Have you heard yes. about Nobody? Yeah. Yes. No Oscar recognition there, but still worth uh, worth discussing. So that's our after hours, and then we have the usual stuff: the cutting room floor, the pre-recording notes, all available for our patrons. Uh, if any of that sounds interesting, go to our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash/ContrarianPrime. Take a look at our tiers, see what you would like to contribute if you want to contribute, and join the Contrarian supplements. One dollar, three dollar, five dollars, and ten dollars. We have our different tiers. They lay out different packages, so to speak. But uh, yeah, if any of the things we've discussed so far sound interesting to you, be sure to head over there. We sure do enjoy providing content to our patrons, our current and uh, past patrons. And our brand new patrons, Alex, like one John Keating. We got the yes, Pumpweed on our we Patreon do. channel. Glenn Pumpweed took the dive and threw us 100 pennies a month and said, here you go, guys. He'll get the content. Check it out. Like I said, just for a month, throw us a dollar. See if you like it. If you do, awesome. If there's something more you'd like to see there, let us know. We are the contrarians at gmail.com uh, or just hit us up on our Twitter account. Let us know what you'd like to see. So check it out. Enjoy it. And we will continue to pump out the content. Now let's pump out some real talk. <laughs> Flawless transition. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Yeah, man. Semi-pro. My last note on uh, my notes here, an absolute classic. Uh, don't. I can't figure it out, man. I can't. I can't figure out why this movie has such a poor legacy. And I can kind of figure out why it didn't do that well in the box office. But I don't at all get the, the negativity towards this. Uh, we'll get into that momentarily. 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. That does mean there are some people, uh, some critics that did their part for the tomato meter to to make it go up. And uh, they did God's work in this case. So those that liked it, besides Alex Mattis, what were they saying about it? All right. A few fresh tomatoes from the Rotten Tomatoes page, starting with uh, Ty Burr. If only it was Ty Burrell. I was about to say. We're amazing. <laughs> you know, Ty Burr from the Boston Globe. He says, uh, it does get the funk out of your face for 86 minutes. Okay. <laughs> uh, Peter Canavese from Groucho Reviews says, qualifies as a sort of cinematic comfort food. It's the mac and cheese of the Cineplex. Yeah. Mac and cheese is good. Mac and cheese is great. Edward Douglas from ComingSoon.net says, Semi-Pro joins Anchorman and Elf as one of Pharrell's funnier efforts. See, I I think this is vastly superior to Anchorman, so I guess I, I agree with it's up there with his b- bigger efforts, better efforts, excuse me. Finally, Robert Wilonski from Village Voice. In the end, it's comedy comfort food, something powdered, poured from a box. Imagine thinking that that's a bad thing. Add water and microwave. I mean, it, it was a fresh quote. So. Not everything needs to be fucking the godfather. Yeah, yeah. When I had my wisdom teeth removed, you know, my diet was extremely restricted because it was just like soft stuff. So I could have like uh, Jello and uh, uh, mashed potatoes and uh, mac and cheese. So the easiest thing to do was to just go and buy them in bulk, like the really cheap stuff that was, well, at least at the time, it was like 99 cents <laughs> per package. Uh-huh. And it just comes with the powder and you just add water, you microwave and that's it. And that's your meal. And honestly, it was fine. <laughs> it was It was a good time. It wasn't like a gourmet meal where I was going to, you know, be telling people about it, but it was, it did the job and I ended happy. So I need to start with one question with you. You like Will Ferrell, right? What is your, we we live in this weird time where there's people that, that are slightly younger than us that try to act like Will Ferrell was never funny and never made funny movies, which I think is just absolutely (laughs) absurd. Um, I also... You know, I don't know all his shit page and verse, but he's done some stuff I find very, very entertaining. Being in college during Anchorman and fucking Talladega Nights was not good because, you know, I think I've told this story on here before. Like all the fraternity parties were themed after that. And it was just like I piss excellence and I'm a big deal. And those lines were just so overquoted that, like, mm. honestly, I don't really have much of an interest in watching either of those movies again. I watched Anchorman. I put it on while I was cleaning recently because I, I got the Blu-ray not too long ago. Um Forget where I was, but it's a. It, was, it must have been Best Buy because it was a steelbook of Anchorman one and two for nine bucks on Blu-ray. <laughs> I know, right? 
And so I was like, it's like just a step down from Criterion. <laughs> so I got that and I put Anchorman on while I was cleaning recently. And it had been at least five years since I had watched that movie. And I was still like not even paying attention to it, able to quote like over half of it. And I was like, dude, I watched this movie was around way too much. <laughs> but for the most part, he did take a pivot. Uh with like stranger than fiction. And I think we've learned, I would hope that a lot of people have learned he's a capable actor, but obviously comedy is where he finds has found his mega success. So my question to you is, first of all, are you an enjoyer of Will Ferrell comedies? Um, I am now. I wasn't in love with him for me. It wasn't love at first sight. Like I think it was with you, you know, I'll hit you back with a different question, Alex. Do you have a friend or friends that you didn't like at first, but then you run in the same circles long enough that eventually you warmed up to them. And then you're like, oh, I actually enjoy this person's company. And then that's how we like, got this podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Brilliant. kidding. But uh, yeah, I, I know, I know where you're going with that. And yeah, I, that's a yes to answer your question. Yes. Okay. But then, you know, you also know that that friend's not for everybody. You uh-huh. know, like... Oh, yes. You're like, I can't mix, you know, certain people. With this, so, you know, I'm going to keep this friend out of the way of these other friends that might might find him unbearable <laughs> because they haven't spent as much time with him as I have. So that was Will Ferrell for me in the sense that I didn't find him funny at all. Like, his, his style of comedy, like, I just didn't get it. It was like, okay, uh-huh. he's really loud. He yells a lot. You know, there's nothing... Uh, relatable <laughs> you know, he doesn't play it, it at first sight you know, it's like he didn't play human characters whenever i saw his clips from uh from snl i didn't find it funny anchorman uh talladega nights i'm like i get it in the sense that stupid comedy like dumb shit like it it, it can connect with a broad audience uh but it was more like the entertainment value i would get from that was more from the the social aspect of it of just seeing people it was in a way it was almost the opposite of your experience where to me seeing people quote it and have fun with it made it fun because the movie by itself wasn't doing anything for me and eventually i kind of warmed up to it and it's happened with other uh movies not just will ferrell stuff like i remember pineapple express was a movie that i had experienced the same way i'm like this is not good and then my friends loved it and kept quoting it and talking about it and eventually I, w- I just warmed up to it i with will ferrell it stuck more because now i can look back at stuff like anchorman and talliga nights and, and i find it much funnier than i did back then even on its own without anybody uh-huh. else like being part of this social uh experiment of it but of course i didn't watch him at nauseum like it sounds like you did and here's the the, the thing alex like semi-pro was the turning point for me with, with nice. will ferrell Semi-Pro was the first time that I watched a Will Ferrell movie, and I'm like, this is good. This was actually good. I screened it expecting just another Will Ferrell vehicle, and kind of like I said in Contrast Corner, once Woody Harrelson is introduced, the movie becomes something else, and I really like that. So much so that I went to watch it. <laughs> like, I was alluding in Contrast Corner. I screened it, and then that week, I went and watched it just with an audience. Like oh, wow. A, a normal, Yeah, because I liked it that much. And ever since then, I've been a defender of it. And I'm, I understand why people, some people don't like it because it's not the full-fledged Will Ferrell vehicle that you would find in Anchorman or Talladega Nights. You know, he's not running the entire show. It's it's yeah. him and Woody Harrelson and to a certain extent, uh, Android 3000. So if you just wanted more of the Will Ferrell stuff, which is what the trailer sells you, by the way. Like I watched it last night after I watched the movie and I'm like, oh, they were selling you just a Will Ferrell vehicle. Oh, okay. No, nothing else. So you got a little bit of the Adventureland effect there. <laughs> I think people went to watch a, a, another Anchorman kicking and screaming, whatever, and then it was something that was a little different. Uh, I like that. I can see how a lot of people wouldn't. But yeah, Semi-Pro for me is the, that, that turning point, that big change where I, in my relationship with Will Ferrell in the... Since then, I've warmed up, and now I, I actually, I like his stuff. Like, not to the point. I still haven't watched uh, Holmes and Watson. I'm not mm-hmm. opposed to it, <laughs> but 
else, most not in a hurry. But he doesn't turn me off a movie now. And I actually think he's good. I mean, I watch, I told you, I watched Eurovision and uh, he's not breaking new ground there, but he's he's Will Ferrell at this point. If you like what, he's do- what he does, you're going to like what he does there. Interesting. I like all that. That's a, a good summation and also starts us off on a, a good note here of enjoying semi-pro. Um, yeah, I remember like all the advertising, like the original, I had it for a while, the bus shelter for it, the poster was just like, Will Ferrell with an afro. Yep. And uh, <laughs> there was some like award show he did before this where he came out with his big fro and people were like, what is this? This seems zany. So that makes sense. That See, that's the problem. We're watching it now and I'm thinking of people might have been a little bit burned out on him at this point. Having especially just done Blades of Glory the year before. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh yeah, it, 2006 was Talladega Nights, 2007 was Blades of Glory, and then this was 2008. Like I said, it came back around with Step Brothers, but Step Brothers also, like, I think this is a much better movie than Step Brothers because Step Brothers, you know, you can make the argument that there's like more laughs per capita or what have you, mm-hmm. but it's not like there's a really, there's not much of a story to it, and there's no like chances taken with it, and there's no mov- moments in that movie where I'm like, that person's a good actor. Uh, in the sense that there is here. I mean, obviously, they're all good actors because they make me laugh. Like, Richard Jenkins and Mary Steenburgen are really yep. funny in that. But, like, that movie made almost three times as much as this. So my theory I'm going with now is they were burnt out on Will Ferrell by this point. If they had... They just had to wait till the summer. Because this came... Step Brothers also came out the weekend after The Dark Knight. So, like, people were ready to laugh again. They, they had their minds blown <laughs> with that. So... It was time to bring laughter back. Um, okay, well, but but it's it's also like you said, yeah, it's a full comedy. Because I'm thinking, I like Step Brothers a lot, and I oh yeah, I didn't mean to downplay Step Brothers is great. I just, I like I said, this is my favorite Will Ferrell comedy. Everybody love everybody. Come on. I was thinking about the budget. I think a lot of it went into the marketing. As I was reading about a number uh, is shown in the teaser trailer, one eight hundred Tropics, when called. A recorded message of Jackie Moon played where he was talking about season ticket packages for the 1976 season. Uh, several ads for Anheuser-Busch were filmed featuring Will Ferrell and character as Jackie Moon that aired during the Super Bowl. <laughs> a music video was released with Jackie Moon singing his hit Love Me Sexy. Ferrell appeared in character as Jackie Moon in TV spots with uh, old, Sp- old Spice deodorant. Uh Pre-screening at the Alamo Drafthouse in Austin, Texas, two weeks prior to the box office debut, featured an appearance by Will Ferrell and director Kent Alterman. In order to obtain entrance to the theater, all viewers had to wear basketball uniforms similar to the one worn by Ferrell in the film. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, our friend Eddie Strait attended this because he has a Flint Tropics top with Strait on the back, like his name. Nice. And Yeah, he told me about that once. An official Jackie Moon semi-pro costume was released in the summer of 2008 for Halloween. A Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue spread featured Will Ferrell with Heidi Klum. I've seen those pictures. They're pretty funny. Um, you know, they tried to create like a universe and an iconic character with this. And you, it's weird. Another movie that I think is like one of the peaks of comedy filmmaking. And it actually just came out fucking two months before this movie was Walk Hard. And that movie bombed like it did worse than this. Uh, Walk Hard was literally gone a week after it opened in our theater. It did better critically. Now, it didn't get celebrated the way it should, but it did better critically. But it made like $20 million on maybe like a $40 million budget. Now, as time has gone on, though, time has been very kind to Walk Hard and people celebrate that movie like the achievement that it it was, and I, I believe, it, but the similarities are there of like the Dewey Cox thing. Do you remember fucking John C. Riley toured as Dewey Cox in the lead into that movie? <laughs> I remember now. Uh, yeah, I think he only did like eight or ten cities, but he actually learned to sing and play the guitar for that. And you know, the effort that went into making that is, is kind of similar to this. Of like, they tried to create a universe for this, and it didn't work. Did, uh... it, did he did he learn to drive Formula One for Talladega Nights? <laughs> Is he that uh, method? I, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, he did. Uh, he played at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, he played in Chicago, Austin, Nashville, San Francisco, Colorado Springs, 
Los Angeles, New York. Uh, and he performed in the character of Dewey Cox on Good Morning America. That's fantastic. But back to the lecture at hand, semi-pro here. It, it, it strikes me as something very similar. Uh, similar things were attempted here and did not work in either case. Like I said, keep in mind, Walk Hard went on and now has a legacy of greatness that it rightly deserves. And I, I just, I'm upset because I wish semi-pro got that too. Because whereas Walk Hard is complete absurdity, and just ridiculousness. It's a it's a parody film. You know, it begins as mm-hmm. a parody of Walk the Line, but then all these characters are created, and the comedy is just non fucking stopping that. Uh, and like I said, I do applaud John C. Riley and I believe Jake Kasdan. Uh, they wrote like all the songs for it, and he actually performed them. That's awesome. The cover he does of uh, Starman by David Bowie, and that's actually really good. But there's no moment in that that I think like. This is like good. This is what I'm watching right here is is a good movie in the sense of like this acting and the story that's being told here. There was genuine effort and thought put into this. It's not just a bridge to get to the next laugh. And that's like a lot of the the story with Woody Harrelson and Andre 3000 in this I feel is like it's written well and it's acted well. And I mean it when I say like Woody Harrelson almost gives his performance, the movie almost doesn't deserve it because he's so good in a lot of the parts. Um, I feel like it contains itself. It controls itself. Uh, restrains is the word I'm looking for in that. Yeah, you get a f- couple sequences of like goofy Will Ferrell, but correct me if I'm wrong, but what comes to mind is really just the the punch in the jejunum and then the, the wrestling the bear sequence is like his big over-the-top moments, but the rest of the time they restrain it. It's pretty much just left to him, like his facial expressions and just his body language and shit is what's funny with him. He has a couple of, like, sequences. You know, when he does the... the when he jumps over the... What is it? 10 girls? 20 girls? Oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, The ramp. And then, of course, the opening with him singing. But it's still... Do you think Love Me Sexy is a catchy tune? I, I, I mean it genuinely. It's a... Dude, I was laughing so hard. I've forgotten how explicit it was. <laughs> but yes. Oh, dude, it's so great. Baby, we're naked and we're humping sexy. So that's like the first thing you hear. I remember screening that and being like, oh, this is going to be good. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's definitely, it's not toned down. It's just there's there's less of it. Because I think other Will Ferrell movies would just have that nonstop throughout the entire thing. And here it's just, you get it and then you get other stuff that's that's on a more subdued level. I mean, even the, the comedy from uh, Will Arnett and... and Andy Daly, I mean, it's just, it's also like, I mean, it's funny and it's kind of cartoonish, but it's still not as over the top as, as Will Ferrell. So, yeah, I think that there's different levels. It, it's, it just works. And I kind of like what I was saying with Red Corner, it shouldn't work. Like, if, if you pitched it to me, I would say that's, that's a tough sell, man. You're going to have Woody Harrelson pretty much play it straight and against Will Ferrell doing the Will Ferrell thing. Like, how is that going to work? And, like the answer is I don't know, but it does when <laughs> you see it on screen. They're just it just works. Uh, that moment they have like back and forth where it's in that montage and he says, You actually having fun out here, Monix? Yep. And he like says, Don't tell anybody. It's yeah. the type of thing like I watch it, it's what you're saying. I'm like, wait, no, this there shouldn't be moments <laughs> that good in this. <laughs> it I think it, it has to be on Woody Harrelson. I mean, not to take away anything from Will Ferrell, but but no, I agree. I think that there's something in just the way that Woody Harrelson place off of it where you can tell that it's both right that he acknowledges that everything is all this shit is beneath him for a good chunk of the movie but that works for the character and at the same time like you know it's him kind of like having fun with the absurdity of it without being absurd himself there's just something it's it's a very underrated performance yeah that's you're exactly right too because it's you and me will talk about how good it is but it's not just something that comes up in regular conversation uh yeah the oscar scenes we pointed out with him and just in my memory actually because i was that's what surprised me when i watched it last night that i laughed so much at the at the will ferrell stuff because my memory of it from watching it you know all those years ago was that oh the will ferrell stuff was okay but really the the 
whenever somebody asks me, I'll be like, oh, semi-pro, it's about Woody Harrelson. And that's really what's, you know, what you go for. And yeah, the heart is Woody Harrelson, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It might be that we don't live I- I- anymore in this, uh, you know, in a time where Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell's comedy is just like all over you. And so when you see it, it's a little more special. It stands out a little more. Uh, there was just something about seeing him fighting that bear that was just, <laughs> it it's, just tickled me. <laughs> yeah, like he has, like I pointed out in the first half, some of my favorite throwaway lines. And, and uh, I just love to, when he, <laughs> well, I posted the clip of it when the Bengals won the division championship and went to the Super Bowl where he's at the meeting with Dave Keckner and he announces the merger and he just yes and then he just stands up and Dave Keckner goes all right let's not get too excited and he just screams he's like I did it he goes everyone can eat shit a big bag of shit and he just keeps like celebrating to himself it's oh man it's great uh and like when the the scene with Monik's introducing where you think the scene's over and he comes back and he's like oh if you see a possum try to kill it it's not a pet <laughs> and i like i said i love the scene of him just singing like a, while he's starting to cry he's singing love me sexy to himself in the dumpster <laughs> and he starts i'm gonna get an extension cord and hang myself sexy <laughs> uh, i also liked i didn't get to bring it up in Contreras corner but that is something that i guess it's also uh, it gets overshadowed by the awesomeness of the monix character and the andrew 3000 character and that is that Jackie Moon is actually pretty likable, or at least I find him pretty likable, because uh-huh. he has that that uh, you know he refuses to be beaten, you know, other than the dumpster scene. <laughs> but most of the movie, he just keeps going, and he's, he's just... like this carny that has an actual good heart, and that's yes. such like a, a rare character to have. And like you know he he lo- he obviously has the ego about him, but he loves his team, and you know he wants the tropics to succeed, and it's not just like a thing for himself. He like he feels that. He owes it to these people and even the city of Flint. And it's it's not a character blend you get often. Yeah. So when he, you know, the crazy shit that he pulls off, you know, he's doing it for the team. And it, at least that's how it felt, especially this time watching it. I'm like, he, he really cares. And this is, he can't coach them. <laughs> Woody Harrelson has taken over. And so all he has left, like the one thing that he can do that everybody, that allegedly he's good at is just getting people's attention so that's what he's doing and he's doing his best and you know it's that scene where uh when he's with uh andy richter and andy richter is giving him a foot massage yes. <laughs> and they just have this heart to heart where he's like i don't know what we're gonna do and it's like I'll, I'll figure something out it just seems genuine that he really cares and it's not just about you know his ego like you said it's not that oh well, i'm gonna do it so that people watch me do something it's like no i'm doing it because the team needs me to do it and it's the only thing i can do to help so that's also because sometimes the the, the Wolf characters can be just annoying, you know. Like I like Talladega Nights and I like Anchorman all these years later, but still those characters are just obnoxious. You know, they're funny but they're obnoxious, and uh, that's not the case with Jackie Moon, which it's it's also another departure in a way. You know, he's more I guess like Elf. Yes, uh, I think it speaks to what we're getting at about this. There's this sense of heart to this movie that you don't really expect getting into it and that you don't really find in some of the more, uh, the, the, the more well-known Will Ferrell movies, Anchorman, Talladega Nights, Step Brothers. Like there's no, like at the end, I always find myself when they win, like I pump my fist because mm-hmm. you're like happy for him. You're excited. And you know, it's, it's an awesome ending that for the historical fiction portion of it, they didn't really take liberties with the idea of the tropics went to the NBA and became like this big team. It, it's just like, they work hard and they get there and then it's still taken out from under them, but then they still end up winning. So like you're happy for him in the end. It's like a hard thing to pull off. And uh, especially in sports movies of taking all of the stakes away and then, but you know, it's like a matter of pride that seems really cliche, but that, that usually comes with like a big time drama. So the fact that they're able to pull it off with a movie like this, that, you know, 20 minutes prior, Will Ferrell was wrestling a fucking bear. Uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, I do absolutely love, uh, I meant every word of what I said, the sequence of them in the locker room before the game, 
Mm-hmm. And Will Ferrell just why is it so quiet? Then going to that shot uh, in slow motion of them coming into the stadium and the camera pans around them. Like I said, that like if you don't have the commentary on it to distract you with how funny it is, that is like a great shot. And this movie is fucking beautiful. I, I didn't have any appreciation of that until I watched it this time and the contrarian's glasses on and trying to find things to be <laughs> analytical about. Did you uh, do you own it? Did you watch the? I own it on DVD, but I did see it was uh, the remaster of it was on HBO Max. Okay, so, that's the one I watched. Yeah, I know there's like um, I don't know if you can get the theatrical version on Blu-ray. It might be one of those like the super bad situation where the director's cut or extended, unrated, whatever the fuck you know that thing they were into with those movies for a while. But it's the one where uh, Rob Corddry actually climaxes before they find <laughs> out that he's there. He, he joins in, and the scene's like <laughs> seven and a half minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, the the practicing sequences where the the natural lights coming into the building, like it's at sunset, and then just some of the the wide shots. They filmed a lot of it in Flint. Even there's the shot in the beginning where Will Ferrell, when he's driving to the club, it's obviously just like cameras attached to the car and it zooms in, but it starts with him driving, and then it slowly like comes into the driver's window and just effort that you don't typically see in you know I guess what some people would consider like raunchy comedies. So from that aspect, I enjoy it. The Like I said, my dad kind of helped educate me on a lot of this about the NBA-ABA merger. But like I said, he said from a historical standpoint, a lot of this is fairly accurate. The tropics didn't exist, but the level of detail they pay attention to and they include in here is pretty remarkable when they don't have to. Because, you know, the majority of these movies, the people watching this aren't going to give a shit if it's accurate to that time period at all. Right. Uh, one of the things I read was during the Tropics game, the Flint, Michigan Mega Bowl with the Spurs, a banner can be seen on the sideline that reads W-O-A-I. These are the call letters for an actual San Antonio radio station, AM 1200, that continues to carry San Antonio Spurs games to this day. So it was like an active radio station at the time. So just little stuff like that. You can tell some aspects of the writing had to be from a place of like a passion project of wanting to tell a story of the NBA-ABA merger. So I find that fascinating but at no point in the movie does it come close to beating you over the head with like look at this it's just kind of the backdrop of what's happening yeah i mean when i watched it i had no idea that any of this would even be remotely based on reality at all Mm -hmm. i was like oh it's just like they said in the 70s so that they could have froze and that's (laughs) it um now i praised this movie long enough alex i'm gonna tell you something i don't like about it okay Tim Meadows sucks. No, I'm kidding. No. Whoa. <laughs> I was saving that for the main event. That's going to be like the what we close on that scene. Yeah, yeah. No, no. There's something uh, that I I don't like in comedy, most comedies in general. And this movie is it's good because it doesn't ruin it for me. But I just think it would be better if this didn't happen. And that is, and you're gonna know as soon as I say it. I hate when they explain the joke, and this movie does it several times. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, we talked about Bambi in Contrarian's Corner. I think yeah. that Andre 3000's line is amazing. I didn't need anybody else to talk about, hey, Bambi's mom gets killed. Because we know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he says, I'm like Bambi's mom. And all you have to do is like pan across their faces. And it's like, we get it. We all know what they're thinking. And then what we don't expect is Andre 3000 saying, who's Bambi? <laughs> That's, Who the fuck you, is you, Bambi? Yeah. yeah. Another example, when... uh. uh Will Ferrell is having his freak out at the you know at the commissioner's meeting, and uh, he finds out that that his team is not gonna make it, so he starts biting his fist. Yeah, and like that's funny. And then they have to have David Cockner go like, "Don't bite your fist, <laughs> <laughs> Jackie. Don't bite your fist." It's a lot funnier. They're just watching him do it. it, it it's that kind of stuff. Is like throughout the movie, and uh, again, it's not to the point where it ruins it. But every time it happened, I just want to say. Stay quiet <laughs> because it's funnier yeah. when you're just quiet. Uh, trust your actors because they're pretty funny on their own without the the dialogue kind of like underlining what they're doing. I love in that though when he goes to the in that merger scene and the other two owners are like, "Yeah, that's that's what we should do. That's the fairest way." And <laughs> Dave Keckner's like, "God damn it, Bob! I'm about to come over here and tear you a new asshole." He goes. <laughs> He says something like, I don't see the need for that language. He's like, fuck you, Bob. I'll take you outside right now. <laughs> you know me, too. Part of my thing, like we talked about my love of the Simpsons and Parks and Rec and the the um, universe building. Obviously, this is a 90-minute movie. But just like 
every fucking thing is covered. Like they have their team slogan, like let's get tropical. And then, you know, all the local sponsors and all the shit that they do. It's just, it's not lazy. And in a movie like this, you could have just so easily taken the lazy route. Even like the costuming and everything is just fucking wonderful. So that is like where a lot of my appreciation for it succeeded. As far as things to kind of piggyback on you of things to be critical about, I get that. That makes sense. Um, I love Rob Corddry. Uh, it's just like that character is just, it's the joke that happens once. And so the fact that they try to like repeat it over and over again to me kind of has diminishing returns. See what I like to me, the perfect way, the perfect recipe for that joke is if like you meet him, uh, you understand the dynamic. And then at the end, when him and uh, when uh, Monix and Maura Tierney kiss, you see him in the background, like he is just going, yes, like that, that, <laughs> that shot at the end is hilarious. It's just, they kind of do it a bit too much, um, but it does give that line I love. I'm you. That's, again, just <laughs> it's so stupid. That- See, it also gives uh, more tyranny after, you know, he catches him having sex and uh, where Harrelson is leaving and he goes like, I'll call you. And Rob Corder is like, OK. And then she goes, he was talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh Matt Walsh, Father Pat, the unsung hero of this movie. <laughs> you know, I was worried you were going to think that he was not funny because he's so, like, over the top. Oh, uh, no. Even in, at the end of the, like, when he calls the foul, the final foul of the game, he goes, 4-2 with the body. And he leans his hip really into it when he's showing the sideline the foul. Oh, God, it's so fucking funny. That, yeah, that and the, the corndogs line. He's a great, and yeah, Mike and Veep, he's such a great straight man. Like mm-hmm. uh, side character specifically, you had mentioned Will Arnett, uh, so I take it that was genuine. Your praise of him being yes. one of the comedic highlights. His chemistry with Andy Daly is it's fantastic, and the mustache. The mustache is to die for. Oh yeah, and he's he's so matter of fact with his lines that on one on commentary at some point he says oh, it's totally unprofessional. And Pepperfield's like, "Oh, Lou, can I ask you to put out your cigarette?" Yes. And he goes, "No, I like to smoke when I drink." <laughs> Uh, I guess before we get to the, my favorite scene and the one that when I, I've i met the few and far between people that appreciate this movie for what it is, it's definitely the main event. Might as well talk about the uh, – we've kind of talked about Andre 3000 along the way. This movie, at no point does it ask him to do anything out of his wheelhouse, and he delivers in everything that he does. Also got a hell of a physique on him, man. The shots <laughs> like in the beginning where he's coming out, it's like, look at the guns on that dude. Mm-hmm. Um, so – I think he's perfect for the role in this. And the one scene in particular in the bar with Woody Harrelson, you know, he hangs in there with him. I was, I was kind of serious. And cause corner where I, I mean, I don't know that we failed him, uh, <laughs> but I do think it's a shame that I was looking through his MDB. He's still, I mean, he's stayed in the business, but it's not like he, you see him in movies a whole lot. I think he, I don't know about you. I think he's better in this than he is in four brothers. Yes. But I think it's also, this is a better movie. <laughs> Like four dollars is fine from what I remember, but it's not. I don't know. It made a hundred million dollars. Uh, yeah, I mean, America voted with their wallet. Like I said, I, I didn't like Idle Wild, and uh, well, we've spoken at length about Be Cool, but when I said in Contreras Corner that I, I I thought that we had failed more than just one person, like I think that in a way we failed him. I think that in a way we failed more at Tyranny because I think she should be bigger than she is. I think she's great, yes. and she's also just like. An actress that's kept working. I mean, yeah, the you know, off the top of our heads, yeah, ER News Radio, Liar Liar, Semi Pro, and but there's more. You go through her IMDb and she keeps going. And whenever you see her, I imagine most people go like, "Oh, it's her." You know, it's more tyranny. Yeah, but she could be bigger, and she should be bigger because I think that she can handle. It. Like she has that charisma, and she. But you know, sometimes it just doesn't happen. And then the the last person I was gonna say we kind of like failed him is uh, Tim Meadows. <laughs> But I don't know if maybe I'm just not as familiar with his filmography. Like I know he was the ladies man. He he was also the guy. He was like on SNL for like 15 years. Right. And uh so he, he was, was like uh, Keenan. I was about to say he was Keenan. Uh but I mean movie wise, you know, I know he's a Mean Girls. I know uh you know, he had like I think the ladies man was like the one Tim Meadows vehicle that I remember them putting out there. And then he just my memory of him is him showing up in comedies for like bit parts, and then that's it. Like I can't tell you when was the last time I saw Tim Meadows in anything. 
he was in 10 seasons of SNL. I'm looking at it now. It was 91 through 2000. So it was literally like my entire childhood. So that's why it <laughs> felt like he was there for 20 years. Um, he erased you. He, he, yeah. He was always on Saturday nights. He's fantastic in Mean Girls as the principal. Mm-hmm. He has the role in Walk Hard that he's also really good in. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. I don't know. Might not have just wanted it either. Maybe he was just happy with what he did. It's like after 10 uh, seasons of SNL, it's like, I'm yeah, done. I'm, I'm out of here. Because it's not, like I said, it's not one of those filmographies where he's, I'm looking at this and he's been in 10 movies in the past six months type thing. So, yeah, Maura Tierney, you mentioned, great actress, great in this, does exactly what the character needs. And I wasn't joking, feels like a real character because at no point in this does she act like a super over-the-top vixen or damsel in distress or any of the, the characters that you come across in like a movie like this she just acts like a normal person mm-hmm. and at the end where she's just kind of happy to see monix and hugs him and kiss him it feels genuine uh and obviously you know they're two world-class actors so their chemistry uh, they're uh playing off each other their scenes together are fantastic but yeah comedically speaking visually speaking the the, the poker scene with the the gun the jive turkey scene mm-hmm. i mean I legitimately think this is like super underrated. Uh, Swedish porn saved my life and numb. Oh, okay. Great. Here we go. Hey, come on. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Let me get my violin. Swedish porn was the only thing that kept my mind off Charlie when I was in the shit. Is the shit in Ann Arbor? Because that's where you were during the war. <laughs> you really believed it. You were never in Numb. No jive, Turkey. You know, my favorite comedy of all time is Wayne's World 2, and I always attribute a lot of that to the YMCA scene of just like the the level of writing that went into it uh, to pull that off. And with this, it's kind of similar, uh, but it's not as extravagant. It's obviously not a chase scene costumes, that type of shit with this. It's, it is written like a Tarantino scene and shot like a Tarantino scene. Just dudes playing poker and joking around uh, talking about fucking porn. And then the whole jive Turkey thing. And you know, the whole joke being that the black guy said something offensive to the white guy Mm -hmm. and, just the, his his face and like the smoke just lingering around it. <laughs> He's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure he just called me a jive turkey. Jive turkey is a little over the line, my man. And then yeah, he pulls the gun out and learn this while I was in fucking nom. Dude, there's something. Uh, the the movie is really funny. The, this sequence is hilarious, but there is something disturbing about seeing Will Ferrell point the gun to himself. Like when you in the movie know that it's loaded. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah, it's funny, but it's also like, oh, <laughs> what's gonna happen? And I know that he that it all ends with uh, them shooting Tim Meadows in the arm, but it's still, it's good. Like I like it <laughs> that it it can be so tense and so funny at the same time. That's it's because it feel and it does because it has no consequence or bearing on anything else that happens in the movie. It's never referenced again, so it is this scene that exists on its own, and it has a different feel than anything else in the movie. Like the this the. the filming of it's completely different like the the close-ups like i said he looks like fucking clint eastwood when he has the gun pointed at him (laughs) and that has that close-up on his face where he goes who's the job turkey now um (laughs) and okay so your thing about explaining the joke uh or just like repeating the same joke over again this scene is so good it goes cyclical to where it circles back around to the joke and it's even funnier than it's been the entire time when Tim Meadows takes the gun and he goes, hey, how about this? I did call you Jab Turkey and then pulls the trigger. <laughs> no, but see, this is different. Like, for one, I don't think anybody's explained the joke in this one. And also, there's a rhythm in this scene that is just fun to to experience. It's not condescending. You know, it doesn't insult my intelligence. <laughs> in fact, this, this sequence actually appreciates my intelligence because i it think rewards that, your intelligence yeah no because it it wants me it assumes that i know that that gun is loaded you know like that's yeah, that's yeah, part yeah. of why it's so entertaining so it's this is a complete opposite this this is really good stuff <laughs> so a so, couple more things you know i'm a sucker for this shit it's never drawn attention to but in the background there's a fucking warhol of jackie moon yes i so, saw it i saw it this yeah. time <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic and then this scene is also where you get the only parts in the movie where like Pepperfield and Bobby D speak up for themselves. And Bobby D's more joking, but Dick Pepperfield's the one of like, hey, Lou, I knew you slept with Mrs. Pepperfield. Rawr. Oh, okay. There is there is one moment where, the, where this sequence does what I don't like. And it's like, fuck it, because I love it anyway. But it's when Will Arnett goes like, 
oh, it's funny because we're saying things that are not true, especially that. Like I was like, I, I'll need that, dude. You're just that's when they're commenting on the on what on the comedy, and I'll need that. It's still but, perfect. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> what I love is like after Will Ferrell shoots himself, Bobby D's the. I think he's the first one that grabs the gun. He goes, "Jackie, love me sexy" is the worst song I've ever heard, and like. <laughs> He points and like pulls the trigger, and it shows Will Ferrell just like clapping and laughing at him. And like you said, the first time you watch this, the tension in this scene is so—it's something you're not ready for at all, uh, and it's—it's it's completely comes by surprise. So, if for some reason you've never seen Semi Pro, check it out. And like we're saying, we've kind of given it away at this point, but this scene—it feels so different than everything else. Oh, I did get shot. <laughs> If you were to make Semi-Pro today, do you think they would keep the opening joke about the... Oh, who is it? Is it Twiggy? One of the basketball players that has a... He has a mentally challenged brother. Yeah, they, they drop the, the hard R a few times in there. Yeah. Like, it doesn't... It's, it's weird because it's the only time it happens in the movie. Like Not the N-word, I'm sorry. The, the hard R for mental uh, disability. Yeah, handicap. it's the only time that it's like... Because... When it happened, it happens early in the movie. I'm like, oh, God, are we, like, about to have another can't hardly wait scenario? Where <laughs> every now and then there's, like, some sort of slur that makes you go, like, huh? What? Uh, but it's the only time. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's in character. It makes sense, especially if you're thinking of, like, the time that this movie's set. But it's also kind of like, well, you could easily not do it and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the joke is basically there's an anecdote for everyone on the team. And in this case, it's and I I always forget this and I don't mean to. It's still me learning the the correct terminology is intellectually disabled, intellectual disability. So I apologize for any misspeaking I did. The joke is all the team members have an anecdote like one of them. This girlfriend has giant boobs and then, you know, one guy's a virgin and then this guy. Yeah, it. I'm sure it's something that seemed funny at the time, and it's. Uh, I guess it just shows that that doesn't really work now because I didn't particularly find that funny, and it is the only part in the movie that stands out. Like, I like the stuff we were talking about in Can't Hardly Wait. There, yep. it, there, it's a lot more rampant in that, but this is the only part in this movie I was just like, huh, 15 years ago was a bit different. Yeah. In a way, yeah, kind of like to repeat the point in from Can't Hardly Wait, it just, if nothing else, it just jolted me. And made me think that we've come a long way. <laughs> I guess, you know what I mean? Like that it that it would be it's so rare now that when you see it happen in a movie from however many years ago, you're like, Oh, yeah, we don't do that anymore. You know? it, yeah. It, it's just uh uh I was glad that it it didn't become like a recurring thing, like it happened in Can Hardly Wait. And yeah, I was thinking that that that's you know, nobody's got a remake semi pro. <laughs> <laughs> the thing you said earlier about Woody Harrelson, you just said it blankly, uh, bluntly. You're just like, no one's going to talk about semi-pro, so we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> so, yeah, one moment in this movie that's a bit rattling uh, by common PC standards. <laughs> if it's any consolation, it's within like the first two minutes of the movie, and it doesn't happen again. Uh, so... Yeah, for the most part, the comedy in this is universal and not specific to one era, which is always a good takeaway. I don't know, man. I just I I don't know why it failed. Like I said, I I can appreciate the idea of people being burned out on Will Ferrell's wackiness, especially after Blades of Glory, which I I enjoy Blades of Glory a lot. I think it's really funny, but that is just like pure, unfiltered freebasing of Will Ferrell. <laughs> So there's that. The period piece aspect of it may have been an undoing. Maybe that happened to uh, Walk Hard also. Yeah, that's that's a good call. So it, it wasn't all stormy clouds and frowny faces. It did win the 2008 ESPY Award for Best Sports Movie. Uh, it's competition, you might ask. The Game Plan, Resurrecting the Champ, and Leatherheads. It was also nominated for the 2018 choice award for the movie of comedy. It lost to Juno, the, the, <laughs> the seminal comedy Juno. Uh, the other nominees included baby mama college road trip and super bad man. The spread was covered by that lineup. 
and then Will Ferrell was nominated for Best Comedic Actor at the 2018 Choice Awards, losing to Ashton Kusher in What Happens in Vegas. That's that's one of your movies. Hey, talk about a, a good fucking uh, Rob Corddry performance. That movie <laughs> ain't bad, man. It's no semi-pro, but it's it's a lark. Uh, the other nominees included James Marsden for 27 Dresses and Enchanted. Ooh, a dual nomination. Uh, Jonah Hill for Superbad and Michael Sarah for Superbad and Juno. There is nothing Michael Sarah does in Juno that is funny. <laughs> so winding down here, as has been mentioned, and I, I need I feel compelled to bring up every time we do a movie from 2008, one of the last great years in film. Um, and I think that could be part of it, too. And coming off of 2007, 2007 was an amazing year also. So I'm just I feel that there is a moment in time where Semi-Pro comes out and is recognized for how good it is and people enjoy it. Just seems that when it did, it wasn't that t- moment in time. For me, though, it just adds on to you know the list of movies that I talk about when I discuss 2008 as like a great year for movies because you had Cloverfield, In Bruges, Be Kind Rewind, Semi-Pro, Smart People, which I love, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and you know now just going off the top of my head, you had fucking Iron Man, uh, Hamlet 2, The Dark Knight, Wally. Oh shit! What else? Tropic Thunder. It was just nonstop bangers. I think The Strangers came out that year, which I'm a big fan of. Um, unfortunately, Hancock came out that year. I remember because we recently covered that. <laughs> yes. But Pineapple Express. There was just a lot of good movies that came out that year, and I think the semi-pro is from the comedic realm is right up there with the rest of them. I think probably have to say Tropic Thunder was the best comedy that year, though. There is a way I think that they could have made it work, but it's but then it becomes a movie that you and I wouldn't appreciate as much, I think, and that is if they had John C. Riley play Monix, and you just don't play it straight at all. Yeah, teaming them up twice in one year, you're like you couldn't get enough, could you? Yeah, and 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 then giving people exactly what they expected, which is yeah, you know, the over the top comedy, a hundred percent. Why is Woody Harrelson acting in this? I don't want this. <laughs> uh, yeah, Revolutionary Road was in there. The Wrestler. Some people like a movie called The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yes, great movie. <laughs> As we discussed in our episode, Slumdog is not a bad movie. It's uh, just significantly overrated. Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Rachel Getting Married. Yeah, it was hell of a year, a hell of a time. So Semi-Pro just unfortunately washed up on the shore uh, amongst all these other ones and it just wasn't meant to be but we here try to give it its propers uh if you're a person that's watched it before and really didn't care for it or had i don't know beef with it or try give it another shot man it's only 90 minutes uh like i said if you've never seen it before i recommend it it's fucking hilarious for me personally the thing i wanted to close with was it was one of those things that like I read and then immediately made sense to me. This was the last film from New Line Cinema before it was bought out by Warner Brothers, meaning it was the last time I saw that New Line signature in a movie <laughs> that I watched in a theater. And I, when I read that, I immediately was able to remember sitting down in the theater with my fucking 64-ounce cola and seeing that signature of the New Line logo falling into place while love me sexy started and (laughs) i have such a so many movies that i grew up on had that new line signature like movies i remember seeing in the theater when that started that was the that was to me that one was even more iconic than universal or paramount which are like the ones people always think about obviously 20th century fox too but the new line one for whatever reason is just burned into my brain from childhood of like that's what plays before movies happen and so i remember screening semi-pro and seeing that and it like it meant something because i can immediately go back to that moment and remember it and then re- putting seeing this in writing, it made sense to me that like I never saw that again, and I never experienced that again. And the, so, probably somewhere deep in my subconscious, that's why I have like this big affinity for this film. But um, that was interesting to me, and like I said, just for the simple fact that when I read it, I was immediately able to be back in that place again and recognize that. 
one more feather on semi pro's cap and i forgot to bring it up i mentioned it in as we close final thing i promise we <laughs> brought it up in contrarian's corner i do mean it the joke of monix showing up in front of the team and then not being able to make the paper wad in the trash can is fucking brilliant because like there's <laughs> no attention drawn to it aside from that throwaway shot of like downtown just like what the fuck because he does it so like confidently he just like throws it and it doesn't even come close it just lands on the floor funny funny shit and he, then he says it smells tropical in here <laughs> uh, i honestly thought that both times when you were about to hit that joke about the, the basket i thought you were gonna say that he comes in and says toilets clogged <laughs> that's also incredible because he's so like indignant he just walks up and he's like blowing his nose and just and it's one of those it's not even like big and loud he just tells him under his breath toilets clog <laughs> there's been more than one time my sister and i have greeted each other saying that uh so woody harrelson an, an early contender for uh the Embry for best supporting actor we'll see how that all shakes out in the end julio comes down to what what's your review for this i think for myself um i was fighting giving it an a because i obviously love it uh but I didn't want to seem like I was overrating it. But through this discussion, I just I love this movie. So uh, not an A plus. It's not perfect uh, on Letterbox. I'll probably give it four stars. Uh, but for me, that qualifies in the the dead center A, maybe A minus range. So that's what, where I'm sitting at. What about yourself? That's that's kind of like what I would expect after all your your love for this movie. So it's it's not a surprise. Uh, surprising myself because I I came into this recording with a three point five and I'm exiting this recording with four stars. Oh, <laughs> because I as we kept talking, I'm like, there's a lot more stuff that I like that I want to keep talking about, and there's really very little that I can complain about. I, th- the complaints I have, I already made them, and mm-hmm. uh, you know they're there. They're part of the movie, and they don't ruin the movie for me, and. Uh, <laughs> As if we need one more good thing to say about it, it's short. It doesn't overstay its welcome. So that's it does another, not at all. Another reason that you can just watch it and just have fun and then move on with your day. Quote it for the We rest didn't even of the mention Jack Earl Haley in Real Talk. Yeah. I had forgotten that he was in it and I had forgotten that he came back. Like I thought he was, you know, once I saw him, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. He wins the money. And I thought that was it. And then they, you know, he shows up a couple more times during the movie and it was. A delight. They pace it well for it to be paid off in the credits. Like yeah. The, the way it does. And it it ends on that really good note of, let's get tropical. <laughs> All right. Well, I am happy to hear that because I honestly had no idea what to expect with your uh, take on this. So I can't wait to uh, rewatch Moneyball for the next episode and rate it like three or three and a half (laughs) when i was coming to the conclusion of semi-pro and like wrapping up my notes i was like there's a very real possibility that next week comes and we rate moneyball lower or i've ranked moneyball lower than semi-pro so that's on deck next moneyball i'm excited to rewatch because god knows i love brad pitt and love phillips from hoffman miss him every time i watch a movie uh and i remember enjoying everything except the end so we'll see how it goes oh we get serious uh andy dwyer in that too yeah yeah, it's been yeah. I haven't seen it since it came out, so I'm I'm curious to see how it holds up. Uh, patrons have heard us gush over Brad Pitt when we did the Ad Astra uh, episode. But yes, there's still more to be said, and there's there's a we're lot. We're bringing serious Jonah Hill into Contrarian's canon. Yes, yeah, and not to go too far into it, but th- that's really the main reason I I suggested it. I don't remember what movie we were covering, and I made some sort of derisive comment about jonah hill and you quickly jumped to his defense which made me think of moneyball because i was gonna say like look the only good thing he's done is moneyball (laughs) just to get a rice out of you that's not how i feel (laughs) well i mean we're both team uh no wolf of wall street yeah we're both against that so you're not gonna catch me defending him in that uh we'll see how it all shakes out with uh, moneyball i do know that speaking to my dad and other uh sports aficionados that unlike semi-pro it takes a bit more liberty with its subject (laughs) material (laughs) all right well that was semi-pro moneyball is on deck next looking forward to it julio we ready to get out of here 
Let's get out of here. All right. So we're going to move into our perennial plugs where we start off by giving thanks to the festive years. They provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand. Take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Rothgieser, he's the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, on our merch page, on our Patreon page. Everywhere you look at, if it has a little tomato, that's most definitely something Hans did. Uh, you can contact him on Twitter at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, or you can check out his website, Mildemonios.pe, to check out all his other work. He's a writer. He has a bunch of novels, fantasy novels, zombie novels, uh, and he has two podcasts. Like we said, Nacion Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. And we end by giving thanks to Ms. Zoe Perez, who helps curate our social media game. If you haven't already, be sure to go over to facebook.com slash contrarianprime. Uh, give us a like, follow on there, whatever the preferred vernacular is these days. On our Facebook account, you'll find exclusive videos uh, that preview our upcoming episodes. Hop on Instagram and follow us at Contrarian Prime. On there, Zoe will post interactive graphics, audio clips, video clips. The whole spectrum is covered uh, on our social media game, and that is thanks to Zoe. So keep up the good work. And with that all being said, we thank you for joining us here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. We will catch you next time. Back when you're